fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hold on a second. I got to double take just a minute here. I gotta breathe it in, let it resonate for just a moment. I'm pretty sure, could be wrong on this, but pretty sure I just saw The View earlier today actually give credit to Donald Trump for something. I know that is sounding far-fetched, and now you know aliens have officially landed on the planet. Now you know that hell is frozen over, or pigs have flown, or whatever, <laughs> whatever other symbolism you want to use here but i'm pretty sure that the view just gave donald trump some props on the program they weren't attacking him they're actually attacking somebody else they were attacking ron DeSantis, but still in the way of attacking ron DeSantis, they praised donald trump at least in some weird degree we'll get to that in just a second what's up welcome into the program it's a monday let's kick off the show the best way we know how to setting the tone for the rest of the week carpe dianisms all over the place what we do here on the show broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in wichita kansas on our flagship radio station we are all over the country multiple radio stations tv live streaming podcasting however you watch or listen to the show millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day big show lined up today too holy cow scott angel he is the former director of the u.s bureau of safety and environmental enforcement that's a mouthful Sounds like a very wonky position, but nonetheless, he will be on the program here in just a little bit. He was the longest serving in that position. He's also former lieutenant governor for the great state of Louisiana and other positions as well. He'll be on the program talking about the energy. We are going into a week and a half away, really two weeks away from Labor Day, or from Memorial Day weekend, which means we are about ready to plan our summer vacations. We're going to go on our trips. We're going to go drive camping. We're going to go take the tents out. We're going to go take the RVs out. We're going to go take the boats out. And while we plan on all of these great festivities, AAA is expecting that to be one of the busiest Memorial weekends that we've seen in this country, if not ever, at least in a very long time. Now, that being said, we're also doing it with one of the most expensive, with gas prices still floating above $3 a gallon for the average across the nation, is that going to kill off some of that travel? And if it's that expensive now, what the hell is it going to look like going into the actual summer season after the summer uh, summer uh, holiday begins to kick off? So we'll talk with Scott about that coming up at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk about OPEC production, oil production globally, our lack of dependency on our own uh, independence of energy production and a heck of a lot more. So we'll get to all that in just a little bit. But man, I'm telling you, I'm pretty sure you can listen to it for yourself. Anna Navarro on The View earlier today giving some props to Donald Trump, which is never heard of, especially on a place like The View. Look, I, I you know, that's the thing about Donald Trump, really, that um, he has this ability to hone in on people's defects and, and say things that then stick, right? Little Marco, lying Ted, low energy Jeb. We all remember these things. And I think he's hit it with Ron DeSantis, yeah. that he does lack charisma. He does like personality. And Ron DeSantis better hope that winning is not and governing is not about uh, entertainment because he's certainly not entertaining. And I think that the, uh, the, the town hall last week showed that a lot of people in the Republicans' base still really like 
Trump's entertainment and, and, and circus. Um, Ron DeSantis has a problem. Ron DeSantis' numbers have dropped drastically since he won re-election in November. I think it's because he's attached himself like a parasite to every single culture manufactured culture war issue he can. And people, particularly Floridians, see through it. It's really kind of like an old shtick now. Drag queens, Mickey Mouse, AP Black History courses. I mean, it's just crazy. Right. Yeah. I'm just going to throw it out there. What type of witchcraft mind games, women games are you playing at here? What are, what are you doing? What are you doing to us? I have never <laughs> never in my life thought that I would hear them say that Donald Trump was good at doing anything. And they're right. Donald Trump is very good at marketing. He's very good at name calling and going after someone and being able to attack them and their credibility because that's what he does. He's a business guy. He knows how to PR and go after his opposition or his competitors in a certain market. He's very good at that. But for them to acknowledge that, what type of womanly mind games are you trying to play on us here, The View and Anna Navarro? What the hell are you playing at What's the motive behind this? Do they want Donald Trump to become the nominee so that way they can go after him like before? Are they really hoping that Ron DeSantis is going to be the nominee by playing our womanly mind games? Wait a second. If you're for Donald Trump now, maybe we should be against Donald Trump and vote for Ron DeSantis because Ron DeSantis has now become apparently public enemy number one with The View. I find that quite fascinating. Now, that just reiterates the fact that those who are like, ah, Donald Trump's never going to get the nomination and he's never going to win a general election because the Democrats have labeled him to be as such with all the drama that comes along with the himself being Donald Trump. And if you believe that, then that just reiterates and just proof case, uh, case positive right here that Ron DeSantis or any Republican candidate will get the same treatment from Democrats and the mainstream media and the view and all the pecking hens that are on the other side of the aisle. Because it does not matter if you have an R in front of your name, you're probably a sexist and a bigot and a racist and everything else. So uh, the fact that Ron DeSantis is going after the quote unquote woke industry and they don't like that, he is now public enemy number one, and they agreed with Donald Trump that he's uh, lacks characteristic, which to a degree is actually kind of interesting. That I guess a blind squirrel hits one on the on the square right every once in a while, right? They they find the blind nuts. Is that how that goes? Let's get into what's, what's trending. What's trending today? Uh, we will touch on briefly the Title 42 immigration issue. Obviously, a mad crisis at the border right now. We'll get into that in just a little bit. But, uh, I mean, there's not a whole lot more to report other than the fact that it's a complete disaster. The other issue that we've been focusing on has been the debt ceiling debate where June 1st is that deadline, a week and a half away. I guess two weeks and a half, two and a half weeks until the end of the line for the debt ceiling. Kevin McCarthy meeting with the Biden administration again today. Not a whole lot of movement, not a lot of movement in conversation or in policymaking or even opinions from the Democrat Party, meaning that so far only Republicans have a bill to extend the debt ceiling and try and encapsulate and actually try and handle the spending at the federal level and try and whittle it down just a little bit. Capping the federal growth at 1% every year, which Democrats are like, yeah, that's cute. Not going to happen. But Kevin McCarthy coming out strong right after walking out of the White House, going straight to the media. We can lift the debt ceiling and find a way that we can curve this increasing debt that is affecting every American family with inflation. And now three banks of our fourth largest banks have closed are in the debt problem. Nothing has changed since then. The only thing that has changed is the House has raised the debt ceiling and passed the bill. 
That's why we had a meeting today. Everybody in this meeting reiterated the positions they were at. I didn't see any new movement. The president said the staff should get back together. But I was very clear with the president. We have now just two weeks to go. If Chuck Schumer could pass something, we'd go to conference right away and solve that. But I don't think Chuck Schumer can pass anything. They haven't dealt with it. Unfortunately, the president has waited 97 days without ever meeting. Every day I asked, could we meet? And he said no. Taking charge of the conversation now, the question is, is it working with the mainstream media and is it working with the general public? Obviously, the general public wants something done because we can't let the government default on our debts now, can we? Now, <laughs> I say that a bit tongue-in-cheek because as you know and as you follow this program, you realize that we can't. Legally, constitutionally, we cannot default on our debts. That is the number one priority. So God forbid we don't pass something here uh, to create some type of plan, then we shut down and we prioritize all of our spending towards that. And guess what? Government agencies end up losing their funding temporarily, which Democrats really don't want. That's They don't like that. They don't like that. So what's the plan? You would think they would come up with a plan, but their plan is to avoid and then blame Republicans because they, again, in their grand wisdom of compromise, working across the aisle, finding a middle ground, which is what this nation's all about, right? The Great Compromise. We've compromised across the, in history over and over and over again. Even the Constitution itself was a major compromise with the Federalist Papers, the Anti-Federalists and the Federalists, and the Bill of Rights that was sealing in the Anti-Federalists to get on board with this concept, and the idea of federalism itself with the power being held at the statewide level with a few of those powers going up to the federal level as well to unite us as the United States. We're still states but we're united as one. Kind of an interesting concept, right? We don't need to go down that history uh, example for right now. But uh, the point is we've had compromise left and right throughout entire uh, our history. We've forgotten how to do that. And Democrats have dominated the conversation and have dominated the idea that right now they compromise by saying either get on board or it's your fault. And that agenda is glaring itself in our face right now. The question is, will we stand strong and be willing to shut down the government in order to fight for what's right here? The House has raised the debt ceiling in a responsible manner, curve our spending at the same time, bring us economic growth. And I asked the president this simple question. Does he not believe there's any place we could find savings? He signed a bill that the House passed became law that the pandemic is over. We have 50 to $60 billion that have sat out there that's been appropriated for more than two years that we could pull back and save the taxpayer money. Seems reasonable. We could put in growth packages that help us economically. The, cutting the red tape so we could build things in America. We could have items that he actually voted for, like work requirements that just passed in Wisconsin with 82% of the vote, to help our supply chain get stronger. I would hope that he'd be willing to negotiate for the next two weeks so we could actually solve this problem and not take America on the brink. I got to say, Kevin McCarthy is doing the right things right now. He's doing everything by the book, and he's doing it the way he should be, and I'm hoping it works. This is kind of the Republican social experiment right now, isn't it? Because we keep going back and forth. Do we need the mainstream media? Are we winning anybody over, or is it doing us any good at all? even trying to converse with them, or do we just do the hard line? Because as the quote-unquote financial purist ideologically that I am to some degree, 
I don't think we should be raising the government's uh, size at all. I don't think we should be raising the debt ceiling at all. And I am totally okay with us completely shutting down the government for two and a half months until the federal budget runs out and we kick off the new fiscal year of 2024. I'm totally okay with that. I mean, bring it on. That's cool. We'll have our emergency services with the military underway, with some of the social programs underway. But outside of that, shut everything else down. I want D.C. to be a vacant parking lot for two and a half months. And to me, that would be the coolest thing ever. It's not going to happen. I understand that's not going to happen, and that's completely unrealistic. So the question is, how do we get the American people to realize that the Republicans are doing everything they can to try and pay the debts and keep everything going? How do we get the American people to understand that? Because right now the Democrats are hardline. No, you're cutting spending. You're dropping the size of government because only a 1% growth to them is nowhere near what they want. They want a 6% growth. So to them, we're cutting it by 5% right now in our proposal. And that's a non-starter for Democrats in the Senate and for the President of the United States. Is it going to the media and doing these and saying the right things? We're here. We've created the bill. We've been uh, on top of this. We've done the call to action. We've actually passed the bill. Democrats are not doing anything. It's really their fault. Is it really working? Or do you think the mainstream media doesn't care and it's still going to be Republicans' fault when something may or may not happen and the dragging of the feet of Joe Biden. I know he scuffles already already when he walks around, but literally dragging his feet on this issue, is it going to turn out favorable to the Republicans or the Democrats in the fun world that we call politics? This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. It's a Monday, greatest day of the entire week, setting the tone for the rest of the week here on the program, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you check us out, we always love you to death. So the question is, the uh, look, this is a game of politics. It shouldn't be. This should be the nerds in the back that handle the budget and the books and be like we have to pay our bills we have to find a way to cut spending we have to handle our credit appropriately we have to spend money responsibly <laughs> I, I almost said it without smiling and cracking i almost said it nope no i can't do that so we have the game of politics being played with our federal budget right now where the debt ceiling hits in two and a half weeks on June 1st. And the question is, uh, the Republican approach to this, the Kevin McCarthy, nice guy, we're doing everything we can, you need to come to the table and chat with us as well. Is that working or is it not doing any good? For the other side of the aisle, for the Democrats who are the purists that say either get on board with us in the way we want to or else you are the problem and you're going to cause a default because you won't just willy-nilly do what we tell you to do. It's a very chauvinistic, narcissistic type of mentality, but that's the way Democrats mostly are. Not to lump all the Democrats together, but their policies reflect that very much so. We dominate, we tell you what's up, and either you get on board or you are the problem, and we will guilt and shame you to death because of something like that. Kevin McCarthy, during his press conference earlier today, said, hey, we crafted a bill that did raise the debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion, that does grow the size of government, and we pandered to even what Democrats' priorities were in order to make this bill happen. So I had to look for things that Democrats had agreed to before. Like, Senator Manchin believes that we should cap the growth going forward. So we would take the next 10 years and we would 
spend more each year, but only 1%. That would save us a lot of money. We'd find savings like COVID money bringing it back. We'd find ways to grow the economy by making us energy independent, lowering the cost of energy, but at the same time changing the red tape on the permitting reform so we could build things again. I thought that was a common ground idea that we can all get together on. So we had made sure that we wouldn't go into default, so the House raised the debt limit and also had growth for the rest. No, I'd say that I disagree with him in just a sense in saying that uh – you know, we're not going to default on it regardless, but I see the point that he's trying to make there. So after all that, laying it out, trying to be fair, trying to be balanced, trying to create a bill that's happy for everyone, showing that Republicans are productive, the House of Representatives did their job, it's the Senate that's failing, it's the Democrats that's failing, it's Joe Biden that's not coming to the table to have a conversation regarding the debt ceiling. During the Q&A, the question is, is it resonating with the mainstream media <laughs> again you see that a little bit tongue-in-cheek but is it resonating with them for them to be like yeah you know what maybe we should call out chuck schumer and see if he's actually doing something yeah maybe we should ask the biden administration no no here's their response mr speaker congress does have the first strings here and if you are not able to prevent to call are you prepared to open it? all right for the, i know it's a little hard to hear because she was a little bit far away congress has the power here and if you don't come to an agreement and you don't raise the debt ceiling, are you willing to own it? Own the fact that the debt ceiling didn't get raised and we defaulted on this spending. Are you willing to own that, Kevin McCarthy? Even though you've done your job by passing a bill that no one else wants to touch because you refuse to just give in to whatever they want to do because they're the purists that get anything they want because they're the spoiled brat children that are the progressives in this country and you just didn't give in to whatever the spoiled bratty child wants when they're throwing the temper tantrum in the middle of the candy aisle are you willing to own that that's where we're at today well i don't see how we would own it if we raise the debt limit so if i look back the house raised the debt ceiling the senate has not and the president hadn't negotiated so i find that very odd telling you you're never going to get through to them it's always our fault. They have loved and embraced the Obama style of we're not coming up with any solutions, but you didn't do what we wanted, so therefore it's either all or nothing. The government will shut down, and it will be your fault. That's the madness we're into. Lots more coming up on The Voice of Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yeah, darn right it is. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out today for a Monday. Let's carpe diem all over this place, baby. Make it happen. Set the tone for the week, which is what we do on the show each and every day. And we have a week lined up for you. Holy moly. Do we have a lot to talk about on this program? We have the debt ceiling issue, which Kevin McCarthy playing his cards the best he can, the best he knows how to with trying to play the nice guy. We've done our thing. Let's go to Congress, let's go to the Senate, go to the presidency and see what they come up with. And yet the media, uh, will you take the blame for it? Come on, man. By the way, we did see Mr. Turtle come out of his shell as well, Mitch McConnell, that said the same thing. Well, you know, most people have to negotiate, and uh, obviously we're not going to just get the purest view, but he'll be one of the first ones to cave. So don't you worry about that. You can uh, hold your hat on that one. That's uh, When it comes down to it, 
Well, we can't shut down the government, so we'll do it next time. I'm Mitch McConnell. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. What do you say? Let's get into what's trending. What's trending today? Outside of the economy that's wavering and waffling right now with a potential recession, banks that are failing all over the place, the inflation still floating at 5 5.5% across the nation. Uh, as you know, we are two weeks away from Memorial weekend and everybody's already got their plans to want to go fly somewhere go drive and travel somewhere go have a barbecue go take the rv out go take the boat out and they say according to AAA, it could be one of the busiest weekends that we've seen for a memorial weekend in a very long time even with the insanely high gas prices that we have right now which the biden administration again is like well it's actually pretty low we've seen it drop a little bit but we're still well over $3 for the average gallon across the nation. And if that's the off-season, what the heck's the summer really going to look like as we go into the warmer season and the amount of production for oil and the amount that we're borrowing from OPEC as opposed to drilling on our own as well? Where are we at when it comes to the energy market as a whole? Excited to have on the program with us here. He's the longest-serving and the former director for the U.S. Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement. He's also the founder of USA Energy Workers. He's held positions as the lieutenant governor for the great state of Louisiana. He's a secretary, former secretary for the Louisiana Department of Natural Resources, chairman of the Louisiana Public Service Commission, and chairman of the Louisiana Water Resources Commission as well. Whew, what a lineup and what a resume this guy has. Excited to have on the program, Mr. Scott and Angela. Scott, how are you, my friend? I'm fine, Andy. So good, so good to join the great people of mid-america and to participate in this show from the gulf coast of america uh you guys are rocking it in mid-america and we appreciate the 34th great state of this union uh, for all the contributions you make to america we so excited about what we do on the gulf coast we so excited about the energy that we produce for this country. So having an opportunity to speak to you folks is very, very important to us. Well, it's great to have you on the show, Scott, and I appreciate all that. And, I mean, this is where you're from all the way out to where we're from out here in the Mid-America region and beyond. I mean, even on the West Coast and everywhere else. I mean, we are full of so much great energy in this nation, and yet we're battling really high gas prices. We're seeing uh, electricity prices go up. We're seeing natural gas prices go up across the nation. What the heck's going on here? Can we get this under control relatively soon? Well, you know, our public policy under this administration has been to uh, look at uh, America's resources and, in a sense, put them on hold while begging OPEC to give us more. Now, clearly, the experts say we have global warming. The experts do not say we have USA warming. <laughs> so, you know, it's one atmosphere, right? And to put Americans on the bench, by vilifying American production and at the same time asking OPEC countries to increase production is, uh, we believe, an insult. It's, it's an insult. It's not a solution. And we believe it's an insult to USA energy workers. And, and so when, when we, we think of the tremendous opportunities that the Gulf of Mexico, a federally owned province, has, you know, uh, any one in about every seven barrels of oil produced in America comes from, from the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, and it's tremendous resource. And, of course, this administration, and I guess it shouldn't be a surprise to us, because when candidate Biden mentioned in March of 2020 that on his first day he would shut down oil and gas drilling, uh, he came very close to that. Uh, you know, about seven days after taking office, he signed executive orders uh, canceling and pausing offshore and onshore lease sales. I'm particularly interested today to talk to you about the offshore lease sales. Yeah. And he paused those lease sales uh, 
and, and again, we don't we don't understand why. You get it in the name of the environment, but the environmental metrics are very clear. The Gulf of Mexico has the second lowest carbon intensity production on the planet and the lowest venting or flaring of methane on the planet. Why is that important? Because those two things, carbon dioxide and methane, are what the experts say cause climate change. And yet, in the area that is the best in America, uh, we've tried to pause and cancel. We have paused and canceled these sales. And we are now through a period in America where we ha- we've had the longest lapse of what is called a five-year offshore leasing plan. Now, statutorily, Congress has said we should have a five-year lease plan that's been on the books for some time, and this is the longest period of time in American history where we've had a lapse of that program. It's very unfortunate. It's an unforced error. And putting people on the bench that sound like me uh, with a Cajun accent and asking OPEC to give us production is uh, is kind of troubling, right? It is very troubling. Yeah, it's very sad. Uh, is it true, and obviously with all the positions that you've held and you see how energy works here in the country, is it true, because I've heard the rumor that with the technology we have, being a first world country, having all this new technology that comes out of the United States, that while we may consume more energy than most other nations on the face of the earth, we're also the most efficient at it as well. So when we talk about environmental concerns, uh, I mean, obviously we have ways to always try and fine-tune and clean our system to make our environment clean and healthy, which is what everybody wants. But we're also the most efficient at doing that compared to other nations around the world as well, aren't we? Right, no, and no question. You know, look, in Louisiana, we love our woods and waters. I'm very, very confident that USA energy workers love clean grass and clean air, uh, a walk in the park, an afternoon on the beach, a sunrise, a sunset, as much as any other workers and Americans do. And so, uh, again, America does it best. Our workers do it the best. And we have such a, uh, a strong environmental regulatory regime in this country. It, it, it makes no sense. And, again, we think there's something nefarious going on when you would take American resources, you would take the taxes that are generated from that, that industry, and you would put it aside, and you would, again, look to folks uh, who do not share our values as OPEC countries yeah. and produce it. Again, a very, very important metric to understand that you take a look at some of the statistics. About 74% of the oil that we import into America has a higher carbon intensity rate per barrel than does the Gulf of Mexico production. So in addition to that, you would be pleased to know that much of the royalty income that is generated from production in the Gulf of Mexico goes to fund the Great American Outdoors Act the greatest bipartisan conservation legislation in 50 years, taking care of our national parks, taking care of our wildlife refuges, taking care of our national forests. So there's a connection between what we do in the Gulf of Mexico, which is safe, and and I would share with you the latest statistics for now, probably about seven to eight years. The Gulf of Mexico, or offshore, I should say, offshore exploration and production is the second safest high-hazard industry in America, second only to nuclear power generation. So we're doing it the right way. This is not your grandfather's oil and gas industry. We're producing some some low-carbon intensity. We're not flaring and venting methane, producing revenue for America. And this this administration decides to pause and cancel that and go ask OPEC to backfill, even in spite of a November 2016 federal federal report that was issued by the Obama-Biden administration that concluded, again, this is not some right-wing group. This is a, uh, information that came out of the Obama-Biden administration in November of 2016, concluded that United States gas house gas emissions would go up 
if we did not have lease sales, because we would have to ask foreign countries to backfill the demand, foreign countries often with production that has a higher carbon intensity. That's exactly what we did within several months of this administration. So it's unfortunate. And again, it's single moms, it's single moms and senior citizens who are living on fixed income that get hammered by these, these, these prices. We've had six recessions from 1973 to 2019, and each one of those recessions were preceded by a spike in energy prices. The way to get this economy moving is to lower energy prices by increasing American access to the resource. Amen to that. I love that. We're, Scott, we're talking with Scott Angel. He's the former director of the U.S. Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement uh, down in the great state of Louisiana. So let's talk about real quickly, and we got a hard break here in just about a, a minute and a half or so, but how much drilling are we doing in the Gulf of Mexico right now compared to, say, during the Trump administration or prior to that even? Yeah, so look, uh, you know, the the – the production in 2019, when I was the, the Bessie director, in 2019, we achieved the highest offshore oil production in the history of offshore America in 2019. At the same time, we had uh, some really incredible positive environmental results, and we had one of the safest years we had. In America, we can do more than one thing at one time, right? And, and what has happened is this White House has vilified uh, domestic energy production. I mean, the, it, we haven't vilified the industry in this country uh, this much since the days of prohibition. We yep. know how that ended, right? Yep. And so what we just simply say, and look, the president perhaps began to make a pivot, at least publicly, when he said during the State of the Union address that we're going to need oil for the next next decade and beyond. Well, we, we, we certainly agree with that. Look, I'm all of the above generation. I think we ought to embrace every opportunity we can. But when we go back to the fact and we understand that we've had these six recessions from 73 to 2019, we, it has, and they were all preceded by a spike in energy prices. Energy needs to be affordable. It, we have to worry about three E's. The red states used to be concerned about one of the E's, that's energy. The blue states about another E called the environment. There's a third E, it's purple. It's not red or blue, it's bright purple, and it's called the economy. And what our policy needs to be in this country is balancing the three E's of energy, economy, and environment. If we do that, we'll lower inflation, we'll lower food costs. Yeah, we're in good shape. Scott, we got to take a hard break. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Absolutely, yes, sir. Uh, I love it. I love this conversation. I want to keep it rolling here. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the future and how we can get these prices back on track. Right here for a Monday on The Voice of Reason. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. And reason, common sense, rationale. Welcome back into the program, especially for a Monday today. Kicking off your week the way we do here on the show every single week. we got a lot to get to throughout the week right now. However, we're talking about energy. And Scott, the most important question i got to ask you today is, is it Louisiana or is it Louisiana? Well, I guess it depends on what side of the bayou you're on. Where I'm from is Louisiana. Okay. All right. <laughs> I want to make sure. Louisiana. I And I need to get down there. I've always wanted to go down that area. I've always wanted some authentic Cajun cooking from that area. So one of these days, man, I'm going to have to make it down that way. Well, you know, you got to stand in the invitation, and the former lieutenant governor of Louisiana will be happy to be your tour guide here. So uh, take that for what it's worth. 
And and look, you know, we we so proud of what we do in this state uh, in terms of not only inviting folks like you to come be a part of it, but in the same time, we believe that every American is connected to Louisiana through the gas pump. Mm, amen to that. Amen to that. We got just a couple of minutes as we kind of wrap up the program today, but let's talk about moving forward. Obviously, there's this big push to centralize everything into electricity, the electric vehicles and uh, the electric gas stove. Now we're going to get rid of the gas stove, go to the electric stove because gas apparently is really bad and puts all these toxins in and kills us, even though we've been using them for 50, 60 years. But this push for electricity, my question is, is if we don't drill or if we don't produce oil or if we don't produce natural gas to continue to energize the electric companies, how in the world are we going to sustain the stability of the energy electric grid when we don't know how to actually continue to create that energy? Yeah, you know, it's really kind of uh, silly. It's a silly season. And and I'm so glad the name of your show is called The Voice of Reason. That's a really incredible, consistent voice where I think I've been on this issue and where USA energy workers are. You know, look, electricity is great, but electricity doesn't produce anything, right? Uh, it takes a, a source of whether it's nuclear or whether it's solar or whether it's wind or whether it's natural gas or oil to produce electricity. And so there's always going to be room for electricity in the, in the marketplace. It's great, and we, we, we love it. But at the same time, we need to understand that we can't just unplug uh, a substantial source of our energy, oil and natural gas, and just expect uh, for everything to be okay. You know, when you have something called the energy transition, transition presupposes that there's a plan. And all we have to do is look at Europe. Europe had no plan. Europe just said, let's go. We're going to move fast. In the meantime, they're backtracking on everything right now. They got some of the most ridiculously high energy prices in, in Europe. Yep. And, and, and folks are actually going backwards on the environmental movement over there because they just had to reopen coal plants over there because they didn't do it the right way. <laughs> but we would just say is that offshore energy has been around for five decades. It's been the public policy of this country between 13 United States presidents of both parties. And so when we take a look at this incredible asset, we just think it ought to be used for the American people to lower energy costs. And, you know, one expert I saw recently was saying that about 40 percent of the inflation, this historic inflation that we're experiencing now, about 40 percent of it can be attributed to energy inflation. So it's driving up the cost of everything. And again, what we would say is let's look at inward. You know, through the strength of our farmers, Andy, we have fed the world. Mm. Through the strength of our farmers, we have fed the world. We've exported democracy and freedoms of religions and freedom of press and all the things that we believe in America. Can you imagine? We now have an opportunity. We really now have an opportunity to not only feed the world, but we can actually fuel the world on the strength of our USA Energy Workers. We'd ask all you listeners to visit us at usaenergyworkers.com. There's a simple 30-second petition to sign and express your opinion that you want domestic energy to help fuel this country so we can balance those three E's. Look, after World War II, it was affordable energy that helped us build the Eisenhower interstate system, right? Just an incredible system that allows us to go around. Not a whole bunch of that with electric vehicles, not a whole bunch of windmills in the back of pickup trucks, right? (laughs) And so at the same time, we believe that if we can focus on domestic energy, don't take my word for it, I'll wrap up here. On Friday, October the 22nd, 2021, in the Wall Street Journal, the way, quoting, the way to reduce gas prices is to produce more oil to increase the supply. Mr. Biden wouldn't have to plead with OPEC to produce more if he weren't working so hard to limit U.S. oil production, unquote. 
drop the mic moment. I love it. Man, I love it. That's what I'm talking about right there. Power up, baby. Is what it's all about. Scout, we're out of time, my friend. I could talk to you about this forever. I love it. It's usaenergyworkers.com. Go there, check out the website, sign the petition. Let's get our energy workers back out there and producing energy for us and for the world. We could again be those great exporters of energy around the globe and take care of individuals getting them back on track. Scott, we appreciate it very much. Thank you for everything you do, brother. Let's get you back on the show again soon. Thank you so much. Hey, absolute honor, my friend. There it is. We appreciate that. USAenergyworkers.com. All right, that does it for us today. Podcast up in a little bit. Until then, we'll do it again tomorrow. Be your own voice of reason. Be that catalyst for change. Until then, this is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.